Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Now the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Next, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel, for his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain said to his brother Abel, Let us go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you have driven me away from the soil, and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and anyone who meets me may kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. And the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who came upon him would kill him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. Amen. So this passage reads like a story of a tragic moment of something that happened a long time ago. But this is really a story that describes not something that happened once upon a time, but something that happens all the time. This is not a story simply about two brothers named Cain and Abel. This is a story about all of us. You see, brother trouble has a long history. It's a common theme in Genesis, and it's a common theme in life. I imagine it applies to sisters too, but I'm not going there right now. Jacob and Esau, they are conflicted. Joseph's brothers actually sell him into slavery. That didn't seem strong enough for Cain, who murders his brother Abel. Brother trouble is common. I get it. I got brothers. I get it. I haven't killed any of my brothers. 
not saying I hadn't thought about it. The truth is, with my youngest brother, I got close once. We were visiting my grandmother, and my mother made my youngest brother take a bath in the middle of the day because he'd gone out to the creek out back and came back mud covered from head to toe. She said, go take a bath. And then she said to me, she said, grandmother and I are going shopping for a while. We'll be back. You watch after your little brother. I said, no problem. So what you need to know is that my brother spent most of his life getting on my nerves. He spent most of his young life running to our mother, telling her lies about me, (laughs) complaining to her that I had wronged him in one fashion or another. But you know me. You know that couldn't possibly be true. But he's the baby. Spoiled little varmint. Mom always took his side. Every time took his side. He'd just run to her and say, Mom, Tom did this or Tom did that. She'd just look at me and say, go to your room. No jury by my peers. No, no, just, just sentenced and convicted all in one moment. It's okay, though. I'm clearly over it. <laughs> I just learned early that injustice is a common reality in life. Where was I? Okay, mom and grandmother were going shopping, and so I decided I was going next door to the Murphy's. They had a ping pong table, and I hollered through the bathroom door, Jim, I'm going to the Murphy's place of ping pong. When you get cleaned up, come over there. So I went to the Murphy's, but they were gone, house locked up, so I had to come back, and so I came in my grandmother's front door, and I closed the door behind me. Boom. From the bathtub on the second floor, I heard, Tom, that you? I didn't say anything. I walked into the living room there on the table, uh, a lamp's on the table, and my grandmother had one of those lamps that you pull the chain to turn it on and off, and she had some little bells on the chain. So I went and turned the lamp off. Cha-ching. From upstairs, I hear, Tom, you better tell me that's you. I'm telling Mama on you if you don't tell me that's you. You better tell me that's you. I just didn't say anything. I started up the steps, the third step from the top squeak. We all knew it. I'm standing on the fourth step, and right in front of me is the door to the bathroom. And I listen, and there is no sound coming out of that bathroom. It is completely quiet. So I step on the third step, and it squeaks. Whee! Water started moving in that bathroom. It started moving. I went up to the door. I scratched on the door, you know, scratched on the door. And then I pushed the door up my jump and ha! He wasn't in there. He wasn't in there. I opened the, uh, the cabinets underneath the sink to see if he's hiding in there. I looked up at the ceiling to see if he's doing one of these Mission Impossible moves, you know. He, he, and then I noticed the curtains in the window are moving. This is the second floor, a long way up. The only thing below is sidewalk, and I'm thinking he's splatted all. If if he's dead, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> I go running down the steps. I open the front door. 
Just below that window is an awning on the front of the house, an awning, and, and, and there's my brother hanging on that awning on the front of the house like, like some kind of Christmas decoration or something. He's, hang, he's hanging on that awning wearing nothing but Mr. Bubble. <laughs> and at this precise moment, my mother and grandmother returned. I did not get out of my room until shortly before you called me to be your pastor. (laughs) Brothers can be trouble. I get it. Just ask my brother. He gets it too. But you know, Cain and Abel, they, they seem to be doing okay. They work together. They, they go to church together. But when they went to church, that's when things went south because the real troublemaker in this story is God. Both Cain and Abel make their offering, but after church, instead of going to brunch at first watch, Cain takes Abel out into the field and Cain kills him. Now what happened between worship and murder is God. It says they brought their offerings, and God accepted Abel's offering, but for Cain's offering, he had no regard. That was disappointing. It says Cain got angry, more than he could handle. God accepts his brother's offering, but for his own offering, God has no regard. I I can't tell you why. I'm not saying folks haven't offered explanations as to why. There's a long list of explanations as to why. Some say that Cain brought the wrong offering, that Abel brought meat, but Cain just bought grain, which makes it sound like God's just not a vegetarian. Well, that can't be possible. Some say, no, it was the quality of the offering that 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 Cain brought inferior offering and Abel brought his best. But the text says nothing about that. They brought what was theirs to bring. They brought the fruit of their own labor. Some say it wasn't the gifts, it was the giver. John Calvin, he says, Cain's heart was clouded in sin. His heart was not right. But Calvin just makes this up because he assumes everybody's got heart trouble. And so, the, but the passage says nothing about Cain's heart. I understand why everybody wants to come up with a reason because we don't want this to be arbitrary. Yet if I understand the text, when it comes to an explanation as to why God chooses one offering and has no regard for the other, the text is silent. It leaves us confused and offended by the unfairness of it all. But this is where I think the text gets honest, actually. Think about this. There is no parent in the history of parenting that hasn't had this teachable moment when when a child witnesses or experiences some inequity, some injustice, the child protests with these words, that's not fair. 
And the response of the parent is, life is not always what? Fair. I think that's what this story is about. Life will disappoint you. Life does not always fall in pleasant places. Life is one long story of inequity. And the question this text asks us is how do we deal with that? After church, God has a chat with Cain. Why are you so angry? Why is your face fallen? Look, Cain, this is life. You can do well, and if you do, all will be well, or you cannot, and sin becomes an issue then. And Cain, you must master it. How do you do that? If I understand the text, it's less a story about sibling rivalry. It's not a story about proper offerings. It's about the ever-present struggle to deal with the disappointment that life inevitably deals us. Life's just not equal for all. Some receive certain blessings and others don't. Some excel in school and don't even have to crack a book, and others struggle and struggle and struggle, and it never comes. Some can do miraculous things with a ball or a paintbrush or a pot roast. And for others, it never quite works out. I play the guitar. And every Sunday afternoon at 5, I go to the gathering and I listen to Nathan Bliss play the guitar. And it inspires me to put my guitar back in the case where it belongs. Life is not always equitable. Equitable. It's not the same for all of us. I don't like that any more than you do. But the text is honest about that truth. With no explanation, Cain finds disappointment. And it's then that God says, you must master it. So two things about that. Two things about that. First, Christian faith is very conversant about things being wrong in this world. And the most consistent teaching of our faith, when we face something that is wrong, in as much as it is up to us, we should do everything we can to make it right. And as much as it is up to us, when something is wrong in us or the world, we are called to do everything we can to make things right. Secondly, this is also true. Some things simply can't be made right. Some things are beyond our capacity to heal or mend or repair. And sometimes you know a disappointment in your own life that just cannot be made whole. There is no justice coming. There is no repair coming. What do you do then? Sometimes you just have to let it go. Just have to trust that in God's time, God will make right and redeem that which we cannot. Sometimes we just have to let it go. And to know when it's time to fight with all you have to make something right, 
And when it's time just to let it go, that requires great wisdom. And that's a whole different sermon. But we know this. Sometimes our calling is to make it right. And sometimes our calling is to let it go. I visited with a woman who planned to plan her father's funeral. He had been a member of the church I was serving. She was not. He had been quite successful in some manner of things, but in the matter of family, he had largely missed the boat. As she talked to me about him, she said, You know, there's not a lot in my life that he ever approved of, and he was pretty clear about that. And when I married a man that he didn't approve of, well, he largely broke things off with me at that time. And for most of her adult life, they lived largely estranged. But then he got sick. He had divorced his wife, her mother. There was no one to take care of him, and in his illness he had reached the point where he couldn't take care of himself. So she had to decide what to do. And I learned that what she did is she stopped her life and she moved to town. And for the next 18 months, she cared for a man who for most of her life had demonstrated very little care for her. I said, how did you get over all that disappointment? She said, you know, I, I don't know that I really got over it. I wanted us to talk about it. I, I quite frankly wanted him to apologize, but that's not in this man. That's not in him. We never really talked about it. I don't know that I really got over it. I just realized there's some things you just have to let go. I just couldn't carry the burden anymore. I just let it go. Sometimes we have to do everything we can to make it right. And sometimes we have to admit we can't. And we've got to let it go. God said, why has your countenance fallen? Cain, you can do well. You can do well. But he didn't. He failed miserably. I have two on occasion, but I know this. I know when life disappoints. I know who I want to be in that moment. I know that. Life will disappoint everyone. You will make your offering in the world, and sometimes it will make no difference. And when things go wrong, sometimes we need to fight to make them better. And sometimes we just got to let them go. And knowing when to do which one, that takes maturity and great wisdom, and that's a whole different sermon. But today, we are given this story, I think, because we see the consequences in Cain's life when he can't make it right and he can't let it go. And the consequences are tragic. And the church has given us this story because we know, the church knows we all will stand in his place at some time. 
and seeing how he blew it, maybe it'll help us make a different choice. Maybe. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.